All right, how you guys doing? You guys excited for Word of God today? Where'd my Bible go? Oh my gosh, I don't have a Bible. Thankfully, I wrote the scriptures down in my iPad, so thinking ahead. Hey, welcome everybody. Glad that you guys are here. Um, we are in chapter 12 tonight, chapter 12 of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, and that is the full accurate name of this book. Now, if you're new here, if you haven't been for a while, what we're doing is we're going chapter by chapter through this book. And one of the main reasons we're doing it is because this is one of the books that is the most misunderstood in all of the Bible. There are people who flat out tell me, I won't read that book, or I started reading it and I quit and I won't go back. I've had people literally tell me, I won't come back to your church until you're done with this series. Because they're so afraid of it, and they're so afraid of it because they've kind of been indoctrinated into what this means, but I think that's a a misunderstanding of what this book is about. Revelation is not meant to be a scary book about pain and suffering and war and judgment and wrath and all these things. Yes, those are elements. I I can't pretend those aren't elements of this book. But the reason they're there, the reason those elements are a part of this book is because we have a loving Father who throughout our entire lives, from before we were born, he knew we were going to mess up. And he knew that we were going to need help. He knew that we were going to need an advocate in heaven. We were going to need a savior. But he also knew that with all those lifelines being thrown to us, our human nature, many of us would not turn to those lifelines until the heat was turned up to a point where we realized we couldn't do it on our own. And so throughout the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, we see this heat, this progressive heat getting turned up, so to speak, in an effort for our God to say, I want you to come to me. I want you to come to my son, Jesus. I want you to be here with me. And I'm going to keep on turning up that heat. I'm going to throw mountains and stars to the earth. I'm going to shake the earth and stop the wind and darken the sun. I'm going to do all these things in an effort to make you see that you can't do it on your own. That's what this book is about. So if you're newer here, bless you, Leah. If you are here and you've missed any of the previous chapters, go back. You can go on our website, discovercommunity.church, and you can listen to them right through the website or podcasts or Google Play and iTunes. You can catch up if you like. But I like to teach a lot of Scripture. I like to take the scripture and make it come alive. So I'm going to tell you, we're going to go ahead and we're going to read the entire scripture, and then I'm going to go back in and dissect it verse by verse for the most part, and we're going to explain about it because, again, this is often misunderstood because of all the imagery that's in this. And it's not just the imagery. There are scholars on both sides of almost every single line that we're going to read here who argue one side or the other. And they can both back up their points. So I'm going to talk about those things, too, in an effort to just try and make this clear and make it, make it a life-giving book, which is what really what it ought to be. We're going to do something slightly different this time, and, and we'll just see how it works out. First of all, I have a pop quiz. Revelation, we see wars in heaven. We see dragons. We see all kinds of creatures, and, and it, is, it is a terrible Uh, circumstances going on here. But we are also given some encouragement that ultimately as believers, we overcome. Who knows 
the three ways, there's kind of three parts, the ways that we overcome all of the schemes of the enemy ultimately and win this battle. What are those three ways? Anybody know? This is like your pre-quiz in school, remember? Blood of the Lamb. Word of our testimony. What's number three? Nobody ever reads that next verse, and it's so important. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to death. That's not just a throwaway, church. We're going to talk about that in a minute. That's important. One of the things, though, we're going to practice is the word of our testimony. The word of our testimony is so powerful because that doesn't rely on your knowledge of Scripture. It doesn't rely on how long you've been a Christian. doesn't matter how good you are, how often you go to church. Your testimony is simply, here's what my relationship with the Lord has done in my life. And there's nobody that can speak that testimony more passionately and more powerfully than you can. So what I'm going to do, normally if you know, we, we wait until the end and I'll say if there's time remaining, I'll hand the mic around, we'll do some testimonies. Here's what I want to do. If the Spirit moves you, as I'm preaching through this, if the Spirit moves you, I have a testimony in my life that fits what we're talking about now or I just feel like I want to share this, just raise your hand. I'll watch out there. I'll wait until there's a stopping point, and then I'll have you share that testimony right in the middle of our teaching, okay? Now, the only thing you have to do is do me a favor. This is not a chance to preach your own message. Just share your testimony short and sweet because those are powerful. I know I'm looking right at Pastor Craig when I say that. It's like, oh, I had something I wanted to say. So that's what we're going to do, okay? So just keep that in mind. If, if the Lord puts something on your heart, throw up a hand, and we'll, and we'll, uh, we'll share that with everybody. So again, Revelation 1.3 uh, says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. You will hear every single word of the revelation of Jesus Christ read here and discussed in church. And so this is where we're going. First of all, let's recap where we are up to this point, right? Just kind of a Cliff's Notes recap. Number one, Jesus appears to John, the apostle John, as he's exiled on the island of Patmos, right? Jesus appears to him and gives him this prophetic vision of what's going on, Um, specific words of encouragement for the seven churches, and the idea there is to help them persevere, saying, you've already gone through some stuff, you're going to go through some more stuff, persevere through this. Then we see this glorious scene in heaven where the angels are surrounding the throne. They're worshiping this holy and compassionate God who's also a just and righteous God. We see this scroll with seven seals being opened, and at each seal is opened, progressive judgments occur. Getting, again, God's turning up the heat more and more, and the effort there is, again, to lead to correction and repentance, not simply punishment. And then we've watched along with the Apostle John as this uh, tribulation and judgments escalate and unfold on this rebellious people that, is, that are left on the earth at this time. We learned about the rapture. We talked about the timing of God's people being taken into heaven, whether it's pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. We kind of talked about that sort of terminology. But again, all the way through this, God is just progressively turning up the heat in an effort to get us to realize we can't do it on our own. Then we see Satan, he's given this key to the pit of fire, and he unleashes this pit of fire. Demonic armies come out, and they torment anyone who's not marked with the name of the Lord. 
That was a pretty horrific scene. We see that. And then last week, we're introduced to these two special witnesses of God. Um, we meet the Antichrist. We hear the seventh trumpet sound. And ultimately, we end up seeing that the true temple, the temple is revealed, and we realize that the temple has always been within each one of us, which is meant to give us comfort as we go through. The temple of God, meaning the power of God, resides in us. We don't have to go somewhere special. That's where we are. So the Antichrist has risen to power, okay? We see the Antichrist coming. He has risen to power by posing as this peacemaker, by actually being a peacemaker. He has made an unprecedented peace throughout the whole world. He has gone to the nation of Israel and said, I will protect you. Trust me. I will protect you. And the whole world has jumped on, for the most part, onto this bandwagon. He has allowed the temple to rebuild, um, and he's offered this protection that people just want. They crave this peace, and they've turned to him. But somewhere in the middle of this tribulation period, remember it's like a seven-year, give or take, tribulation period. Somewhere in the middle of that, things have turned for the forces of the Antichrist. They have invaded, essentially occupied Jerusalem, and they have begun to just desecrate the temple. Okay, we see God's wrath then come down on them. The Jews are blamed for these plagues because the two special messengers come down and they are carrying the power of God to inflict the, these plagues and they're actually blamed by the people that are around there, the people that are desecrating the temple and they blame the Jews. What this means is that even more pressure, even more persecution comes upon the Jewish community and the nation of Israel in general. So this is where we are. The persecution and pressure has risen to levels never before seen. Last week, so we're last week in chapter 11, we're introduced to the Antichrist. Next week, and the Antichrist is the first beast. Next week, we're going to see another beast, and that beast is um, the false prophet. Okay, so we see two different beasts, not counting the beast of, of Satan that we're going to talk about tonight. The first beast, again, the Antichrist, is a political and a military leader. Okay, the second beast we'll talk about next week, the false prophet, is more of a religious leader. So these are things that we need to kind of keep in mind as we see this revelation unfold, some of the keys that we're going to be looking for. So next week, uh, or this week, I'm sorry, Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 12. Now in this chapter, there is a really healthy mix of symbolic and literal imagery. Okay, so you got to kind of watch for that as things switch. We also find out that the, the Apostle John who wrote this has really no regards for chronology. Okay, things, he jumps forward and he jumps back. And, and this is the vision he's giving and he's relaying this. But we find out that if we're not paying attention, we'll see things jump back and forth and we'll miss it. So I'll try and point out some of that. But let's watch for it. We are... Currently, somewhere around the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period as these things unfold. So, I'm going to read the entire chapter right now, Revelation 12, 1 through 17. If you don't have your Bible, just sit back and just listen. If you, I use the New American Standard. If you want to follow along, you can. But we're going to read this, every word, and then we're going to jump into it and see what it means. All right, Revelation 12, 1 through 17. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. 
Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God into his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great red dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth out of, after the woman so that, she might cause, that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of its mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's a lot. That's a lot. Let's go in and try to make some sense of what's going on here. I think it starts right at the very beginning. What a better place to start than at the beginning, right? Revelation 12, verses 1, 1 and 2. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Well, the very first thing, it says a great sign. We are not expecting literally this woman. It's telling you right up front, this is a sign, okay? This is a sign of something that's to come. So we're not actually waiting someday for this woman to show up, and that's how we'll know this is unfolding. Great sign appeared in heaven. It's a woman clothed with the sun. Clothed with the sun is just imagery of righteousness, reflecting the righteousness of Christ, okay? Clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. The moon under her feet is just symbolic of pagan religion, not being able to have light. It differentiates between the sun and the moon, okay? The moon can reflect light, but it does not generate its own light. Okay, and it does, so it's not true light. So that, reckon, that, that uh, symbology there is of pagan religions. So this woman has pagan religions under her feet, meaning they have, she has pushed them down and she's literally trampling them right now. 
and on her head a crown of 12 stars. The word crown there translates to the same word that we talked about earlier about a laurel wreath, that wreath given to the victor, the victors who persevered. If you persevered in battle or you persevered in in the Olympic Games or the games that they had, athletically, you would be given this laurel crown. And it's specifically used by John early on where he says, if you persevere, you will receive the crown. Okay, so that, this is that same crown, indicating that whoever this woman is has persevered. She's persevered. She has driven the, the pagan religions and the false religions down under her feet. She has gained victory over them, and she has persevered to the time when now she wears this crown. Now, the 12 stars is debated back and forth. Some people feel the 12 stars are the 12 tribes of Israel. Some people feel the 12 tribes are the apostles. Um, Some kind of claim that they're both, a combination of both. But let's look first then about this woman. Before we go any farther about the child, who is this woman? I think it's important for us to know. Okay, so it's debated back and forth. Many people think that this woman uh, represents a lot of different things. I'll explain to you why I believe what I believe. But first, you've heard of, as we are going through the first chapters, you've heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Common thing, there have even been movies about it, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Have you heard of the four women of the apocalypse? A lot of people haven't. There are four women represented in the apocalypse. Many, many times we see imagery and symbology used where women represent these religious ideas. Okay? We see that most often in Revelation, but we do see that throughout all of the Bible. Specifically in this case, we see Jezebel. Okay? We see Jezebel. Jezebel represents this, um, this religious system that promotes false teaching. Okay? So that's Jezebel, one woman. Then we see the great harlot, which is indicative of false religion. Okay, we see that. And then we see the bride. Okay, the bride is the body, the bride of Christ. That's us, right? So those are three. Now, the fourth woman of the apocalypse, if you're Catholic or if you have a Catholic background, you might say this fourth woman of the apocalypse, specifically this woman we're talking about here, is Mary. Okay, many, many people argue because of the symbolism that goes on that that's actually Mary. Revelation 12.5 is where they get that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But it just says, and she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Okay, so you would naturally take that and say, Mary is the one who gave birth to the male child. We believe that's That's Mary. Other people say that she represents, this woman represents the glorified church. Okay, which you take from all kinds of symbolism about standing over the pagan religions, the wreath of of perseverance. We see that. Revelation 19, way we'll we'll get there before long. Revelation 19:7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Okay, we're the bride. And so it's saying rejoice over that. So people take that as being this woman then represents the glorified church. Here's what I believe, and all the smartest scholars believe this, by the way. I believe this woman represents Israel, represents Israel itself, or mother Israel. The reason I believe that, Revelation 12, 17, 
We got that on the screen. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So not only is this mother Israel, but it also also represents those messianic Jews, those Jews who have come to know who Jesus is. So this is a combination of the both, and that's, that's what we see here. So that's why I believe that this woman represents Israel and those who have been grafted in to that vine of Israel, right? In other words, in other words those who believe in Christ as well. So let's go back to, uh, yeah, put, let's put one and two back up there, if we could. Okay, so let's keep going through this. Let's look at it a little bit closer here. Um, with the with child part, Jesus, we know, was a child of Israel, Okay, so we know that. Jesus came out of the line of David, out of Israel. So that's, there's no confusion there who the symbology of that is. She, she's giving birth to Jesus. And she cried out, being in labor and pain to give birth. This goes back several ways. Um, symbolically, what this is really referring to is the persecution of Israel at the time of Rome, when the Roman Empire. So the time when John was writing this, the time when the church was being birthed, really, the Christian church literally being birthed, they were being persecuted by Rome, okay? And so this, this symbolically talks about that. Of course, it also, dual fulfillment we talked about last week, talks about literally go all the way back to Genesis where women give birth in pain and labor, Right? So this is kind of fulfilling both of those things. But the imagery there is, is the persecution under the Roman Empire. Revelation 12.3, Then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. Okay, there's a lot going on there too, but the thing to know, this is Satan. First and foremost, this is the introduction of Satan poking his head in here. This is the sign. So again, he may or may not literally look like this, but this is what we see. The seven heads. Seven heads are debated back and forth. Again, what that symbolizes. Some people feel that that is seven kingdoms, specifically seven kingdoms that are used to persecute the nation of Israel all the way from um, from uh, Egypt all the way forward. So some people believe that it's that. Some people believe it's more literal than that, and it, rec- and it represents seven hills or regions that are in Rome. Okay, I believe that, it's, that it represents the seven kingdoms that Satan uses to persecute the Jews. The diadems, that means seven crowns. Okay, that's just crowns. Again, pointing towards these kingdoms, each one having a crown over that kingdom that Satan is manipulating and using to persecute the nation of Israel. Ten horns, uh, horns are used throughout just to symbolize power, going all the way back to Daniel 7 about power. So those ten horns are just world powers. Many people believe that several, because you can go through and list these world powers, some of them have not occurred yet. These are things, these are nations that will rise to the status of world power that we currently, they exist now, but we don't see them as world powers kind of laying dormant, and we'll see those rise up, and we'll see some hints to that in later chapters. Here is just an image that I found of the red dragon. That's hard to see, but if you go on the internet, you can see, of course, not an actual photo, just to be a little disclaimer here. But it, stop, George. You're going to get me in trouble. 
But that's a good indication. It, this is a terrible sight. This is a terrible, terrible scene. So you can take that down. Revelation 12, 4. And his tail, this is the dragon, his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them down to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Okay, the imagery of a third of the stars, that simply refers to a third of the angels who went with Satan, who rebelled with Satan and went down to earth with him. That's the, that's the third of the stars the tail swept away. The dragon standing before the woman, that simply points to Satan's original plan was to do anything he could to stop Israel from becoming any sort of a power so that they could have this prophetic line of David and who could give birth to a Messiah. That was plan one. And when he blew that, plan B, plan one, plan B, plan one, plan two, A and two, was to literally kill the Messiah. And we see that plan unfolding. However, he failed in both, right? We see that he failed in both of those plans. But that was his plan originally. And so what we see here is this prophetic vision of the dragon literally trying to steal the baby away from Mother Israel before this baby could fill its prophecy and its destiny. Revelation 12, 5. And she gave birth to a son... A male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Meaning the moment this child was born, up he went. The problem with this is this, this enrages the dragon. Okay, the dragon's being thwarted. It enrages the dragon. Even more so when this happens, Revelation 12, 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Our math people, 1,260 days? Three and a half years. You don't even have to do the math anymore. You just know how this works, right? Now, this is another example of this whole time-space issue where, where chronological order is not really an issue. The time frame between this, verse 6, and previously, verse 5, it says three and a half years. It's really... 2,000 years and counting, okay? So this, this is a massive time frame, and yet here it's just one verse. But this is what we're talking about here. More on this. We'll get back when we get to verse 14. But again, this turn of events, this dragon setting up to steal the child, and then the child is, is whisked away to heaven, and the mother flees. So the devil's got nothing to go after. This enrages him. And he flies into a, into a panic, really, and wages war. Revelation 12, 7 through 9. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. This is an amazing scene. We see, try and picture what this battle is like. Here's the important takeaway before I show you some pictures here. Satan had access to heaven until now. This is why we call him the accuser. And this is why we need an advocate. Satan spent all his time in heaven accusing God's people. That's why he's called the accuser. That's why, we need, that's why we need Jesus as our advocate. 
to offset that. We see this, but at this point, Satan's access to heaven is cut off. He's thrown down. Here's a couple images of what this battle looks like. I don't know how well you can see that. But again, a chaotic scene. The forces of the red dragon, all these angels, and Michael and his archangels and and the forces of good fighting it out. Ultimately, it's a number, it's it's math. Because they are the same beings, angels, demons, angels. They're the same thing, which is why this continues to call them just all angels, but it's a math, it's a math thing. Two-thirds, one-third. The stronger force is going to win. Plus, ultimately, we know God's plan is that they would win. So I have no doubt that was always going to happen. Next image. This is, for those of you who are art historians, so I took art history in college, and I've always loved it. This is a 17th century painter. His name is Peter Bruegel. And uh, this is just another image. If you want to Google that, it's fantastic where you can look and just see all the different things that's going on. There's another image that we see all the time. We see this one. This isn't the original. There have been many different copies, but this is Michael the archangel and his having Satan beneath his feet. We know he doesn't run him through with a sword, but he banishes him to the earth. This is what happens. All right, so Revelation 12.10 Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Again, there's that, the accuser of our brethren. He's there accusing us of our sin. And Satan is our advocate. This is why that has always been important for us. We should be so thankful for that. Revelation 12, chapter, uh, verse 11. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. A lot of people just read those first two parts, and we don't see that last part. It's important. In fact, a whole series, we could teach an entire series just on that one verse. But we see those three keys to defeating Satan, the blood of the lamb, blood of the lamb. This has been, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this part's been done for you. Satan's accusations have no power because Christ has already paid the price for us. So there's nothing that Satan can do or say before God that's going to land on us. Christ has taken that. He's taken the punishment and he has been our advocate. He has already paid the price. The word of their testimony, the second one there, Remembering the battles that God has brought you through, the things you've seen him bring other people through, the difference that he has made in your life, this is what our testimony is. And this is a powerful, powerful thing. A lot of times I talk to people and they don't see the importance of sharing a testimony. Church, that one thing that the Holy Spirit has put on your heart right now, I should say something. The devil does not want you to share that because it's obviously extremely powerful. In the midst of all these things going on, it says, wait, all this is going on, but I want to give you this encouragement. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, which is done for you. The word of their testimony, which is a discipline that we need to practice, and we cannot let the enemy steal that away from us. Make us feel embarrassed. Oh, I don't want to share that. People will think I'm weird. People think I'm funny. Satan wants to steal that away from you. We need to practice that discipline. And then the last one is important. They did not love their life 
even until death. Here's what that means. If you value your eternal life and your relationship with Jesus Christ over anything on this earth, Satan's got nothing on you. You have one? All right. If you value your relationship with Christ and your eternal life and your place in heaven, if you value that above anything else on this earth, there is nothing that Satan can threaten you with. That's why it's important. Here you go. Um, sure. Yeah, so I, it was really interesting. When I was 10 and I almost committed suicide, that was pretty much where I was introduced to Jesus and to the book of Revelation. And this verse still to this day is my favorite verse <laughs> because it is really powerful. Like those like individuals who love their lives unto death almost cannot see this other life, this eternal life yeah. that lives inside of them. And that is the true life. And yeah, so I, I just wanted to share that. Um, yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. George? Over two years ago, I had a son, 54 years old, that shot himself, killed himself over drugs, and found out about a week and a half ago that he had another child here in Denver. And I have a new, a new granddaughter, she's 18. So my son killed himself, but he lives on through his daughter. George. All right. This is what we need to get in the habit of doing. When the Holy Spirit puts something like that on your heart, share it immediately. Get it out there. This is what helps us stand against. It encourages the rest of us. Stand against those schemes of the enemy. Do not love your life even to death. We're going to go back to that in just a little bit. Revelation 12, 12 and 13. For this reason, what is this reason? refers to the thing immediately before it, right? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life to death. For this reason, you're not rejoicing because of all the other things we just read. You're rejoicing because he gave you a way. He gave you a way to stand against anything Satan's going to throw at you. Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you. The devil has been banished to the land now having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who, give, who gave birth to the male child. Again, this is not chronological. This is jumping back and forth, right? The persecution of Israel has been going on since the very beginning. But the dragon is lashing out like an animal, like a wounded animal who's been cornered. He knows that his time is getting short and his persecution of Israel is ramping up. And the shorter his time gets, the more the persecution ramps up. And we're going to see that over and over again as we get closer to the true end times. 
Revelation 12, 14. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the darkness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. How long is time, times, and half a time? Very good. I got you all trained. She was given eagle's wings to escape into the desert. Where else do we see this imagery? Okay, all the way back at Exodus, Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. This is a pattern of how God rescues his people. And when he bore them on eagle's wings, what was the result? Did they immediately land in paradise? They wandered the desert for 40 years. Sometimes, church, the desert is a place of safety. Sometimes we see the desert as punishment. Oh, I'm in a desert. I'm in a, I'm in a dry season right now. Sometimes that desert can be a place where God puts you to save you. This is what he did here. Some people actually see this imagery and say, well, that's, that indicates a modern uh, uh, military transport plane whisking the people of Israel away to safety after the occupation. It could unfold like that. But I go all the way back to Exodus and see how that worked there. We can't see a desert as a place of punishment. God doesn't intend it to be a place like that. He's re- protecting, in this case, protecting the remnants of his people. Revelation 12, 15, 16. We're getting close, guys. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of its mouth. Again, a lot of imagery there. Like This woman, just like Israel, if we go all the way back to Genesis 7 and Noah, threatened, right? We see this imagery of a flood. Now, this could be a literal flood. We've seen that happen. This could be a literal flood. Some people believe that this, that this flood is an invading army. Okay, some people prove that this is a Muslim or a Turkish army, uh, Turkish Muslims who are going to invade like a flood. It could be that. I believe it might even be even more subtle than that. This could be a tide, if you will, of popular opinion. I think we might be seeing some of that right now, where popular opinion turns against the nation of Israel in such a way that they can't stand against it. Through the rise of social media and the availability of all that, worldwide opinion can come to bear on one single person that makes a five-second snapshot on a TV show. Why couldn't it come against the nation of Israel? I believe that may be some of the imagery we're talking about here. And we go down a little bit farther, but the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out. That word earth translates in the Greek as a word that's pronounced gehei. And gehei doesn't mean the dirt as earth. It doesn't mean the dirt. It doesn't even mean the globe. What it means is a region or the inhabitants of a region. And that's how it refers to. So this is is saying the inhabitants of a certain region is going to come to the rescue of the nation of Israel. This may or may not even be a Christian nation. This could be any nation that's coming to help them for their own purposes. We don't know how that's going to unfold, but, but I believe that that, again, is a, is a world power that will come to the aid of Israel. 
Revelation 12, 17. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Again, there's God's people, those who are God's covenant people, the nation of Israel, and those who are grafted in, meaning those Gentiles who believe, those Jews who convert and come to know Jesus. Those are God's remaining people, and this, if you're on earth at this point, the dragon is enraged, and he is coming after you like a wounded animal. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and start walking up this way. So again, these are God's people. We need to be prepared to fight this battle every day, and God has given us everything that we need. We've seen the forces of evil from the very beginning start to come against God's people, attacking day after day in all kinds of different ways. And if one way fails, he's got another way, and he is relentless, and he will keep coming. But the reason that the revelation of Jesus Christ is encouraging is because we know that God continues to give us a way. And the best way, the way that nobody can take from you, is the word of your testimony. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, again, the blood of the Lamb, that has been done for you. Our only job is to accept what Jesus did for us. That's the hardest part there. The second part, the word of their testimony. So often when I talk to Christians and I say, we are given the commandment by Jesus to go and make disciples. The first thing they say is, I don't know about that. I don't know the Bible well enough. I, I'm just a new Christian. I, don't even, I hardly even know what I think. What we do know without fail and that no one can take it away from you is the testimony of what God has done in your life. There's nobody that can speak that more passionately or more convincing than you. There's nobody who can take that away from you. Because it's what happened to you. I think there's more power there than anybody realizes. You can go to a new believer or somebody who's skeptical or somebody maybe who's angry at God, and you can argue Scripture with them. You can pull out all kinds of verses about how God loves you and He'll never leave you, and that rings hollow. Because maybe they felt like, I don't think God loves me, and I think He did leave me just when I needed Him the most. Church, those kind of things the enemy can come against and he can play with it. How many times, I have had several times, I think I know scripture fairly well. I've been quoting scripture to somebody and they go, yeah, but what about, and I go, ugh. Let me back up for a second. Think about that. Okay, he stopped me dead in my tracks. Now I'll go back and I'll answer it, but your testimony is something that no one can argue No one can take it away, and no one's more passionate about it than you are. That passionate zeal for Christ and what he has done in your life, that's what defeats the enemy. And if you place that relationship above your stuff and above what people say about you and about, I'm going to be embarrassed, that's what loving your life is. Oh, I don't want people to think I'm weird. Okay, we're all weird. Get over it. We need to practice. Sharing our testimony is a discipline, church, that we need to practice. Okay, so we've done a few of them now, and that is fantastic. But I want you to make an effort to do this for the rest of today, tomorrow, and every day. That is a discipline that we can decide. I'm going to do this. Okay? And so here's what we're going to do. As we wrap up this message... 
I know some people are scared to death of speaking on a microphone. Okay, I saw the look in your eyes when I walked to you with a microphone. I appreciate your sharing that. Here's what I want to do. We're going to go into our response time right now, and we'll take communion. Okay, so if you're new here, here's how we take communion. If you're a believer in Christ, we want you to take communion with us. At the crosses, we have juice and bread and gluten-free crackers. You just dip into the juice, and you can serve yourself or your family there. Up front here, we have wine, and Gabe and I will be up front, and we would love to serve you if that's how you'd like. And we do this with deep thanks over what Christ has done for us, being our advocate before the throne so that we're not going to get there and we're going to have this giant list of sins. Christ took those from us. But here's what I want to do. Before you get up and start moving around to take communion, and we'll do that here in just a second, I want you to turn to at least one person and share something that God has done in your life. Share just, it could be super short, something that God has done or Jesus has done in your life to make a difference in your life. Let's just practice. This is a safe place. Just do that. And once you have done that, okay, let's move around and start taking communion and the worship team will dismiss after a couple songs. Amen, church? Thank you, guys.